Hey, this is Alex from X-Growth. Over the holiday break, we're rebroadcasting some of our favorite episodes from the Growth Colony podcast. We'll be back in the first week of January with new episodes, but until then, we're wishing you an awesome holiday break, and thanks for tuning in to the Growth Colony pod this year. All right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Leandro Perez, Vice President and CMO, Asia Pacific at Salesforce, about how he as a marketer and growth leader has changed his approach in the past year. We're going to be talking about and exploring everything from managing and professional development for your teams, keeping morale up, taking bold risks, and trying new things. On that note, let's dive in. Leander, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Shaheen. I'm excited to be here today. Same over here. I'm super excited, especially, you know, your background, working at Salesforce, working across multiple different geographies. I think there is, there is, we, we, we have an awesome conversation planned out. But, you know, more importantly, I, I, what I, what I do want to start and talk about is how you've you've maneuvered and changed your approach to marketing leadership in the past 12 months or you know kind of like 14 months now since covid started i mean we know everybody kind of moved to digital but from a leadership perspective how how did you go about and and change your approach yeah so i think the the listeners may or may not know this if they look up my profile but 14 months ago was actually not only around the beginning of COVID, but also when I relocated from the United States, I was in San Francisco to come to Sydney, Australia. So there was kind of double barrel for me. I had uh, a new team, uh, a new role, and the new team was quite different to the old team. My old team was all based in San Francisco. Uh, We were working on global projects, but from the headquarters uh, machine. The new team that I came and joined in the beginning of last year was me being based in Sydney, but a remit across Asia Pacific, like you mentioned. So team members in India, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, even in Australia, they're in different geographies in in Melbourne and other cities. So very different team there. And then, of course, laying on top of that is COVID, right? So for me, I personally had to think about how I was going to approach this distributed team, which changes, by the way, everything. Like, you know, it, was, it used to be simple to, you know, rally the troops and, you know, go for a drink or, you know, organize a birthday cake. It all, it was all in the same place. Now when you're all distributed, like even just thinking about how to have fun and recognize is totally different. And so that's, you know, table stakes. And many people would know that that have those, those roles that are distributed. What COVID brought to all of that, though, was... And look, I reflected on my own personality. I'm the kind of guy that's going to say, we're going to achieve this. There's no barrier, no mountain climb that I can't climb. We're going to do this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And COVID came along and meant that some people 
we are all obviously many working from home, but some people have very different circumstances. You know, some people were by themselves at home. Some people were looking after multi-generational families at home. Some people had children issues. Obviously, they had to um, look after their kids and um, make sure they were doing their homeschooling. Some weren't doing that. Some had babies. Daycare was out the window. There's like so many extra complexities, which meant every project that I you know, came across my desk and I evaluated how we're going to execute it, I had to have this other lens, this other filter about what it meant to the people and their situation. And it's something that I've never had to think about at the same level. Of course, as a good leader, you should always think about the people and your situations that they might be in. But now it just meant it was incrementally harder than it ever was. And it still remains that way. Like we, um, we've been chatting about the region is still not fully there across Asia Pac. We have some, some areas that are in lockdown and, and some that with restrictions. So it's still very, very present today. And um, it has changed me. And I think it has changed me forever. As, as we're moving out of this, the, the, the COVID situation and, and more people are getting vaccinated, we come back to the office. Some of the old methods and things are coming back. What do you think there are, you know, one or two things that you're going to, you're going to take from, you know, some of the lessons that you're going to take away from COVID and, and keep them and, and con- continuously, you know, have them incorporated in your leadership or, or how you work with the team? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, well, I'll start off by first saying it's probably going to be a while before we even get to that point. So we in, in the Sydney office, for example, we can go back in. Um, we've been doing that for some time. It's We've given uh, people at Salesforce the ability to uh, make their own decision till the end of the year, given the uncertainty that there is. But even after that, where we're talking about one to three days flexible kind of policies for most people, right? So I think it's never really going to be exactly how it was where the expectation is the whole team's always there unless they're traveling and doing something, which means there will always be people that may not be in the room with us. And that's why the company, as well as me, are thinking a lot about how do you get the most out of people? How do you make sure they're productive? How do you make sure they feel heard? How do you make sure all the ideas are coming to the table, not just the ones that are sitting physically at a table? And they're not old things. They're not new things, I should say. They're old things, right? That's been happening for many years for the Australia team joining a call with the US team, right? It's the exact same concept. But now the added complexity is that the Australia team maybe isn't all in one place, right? They're in, someone's in their home, someone's in the office, someone's in different cities. So it kind of accelerated, I think, that future of work, which I know is a a slogan that's thrown around a lot, but how the, the future of work will happen. And so for me, what will I keep Things that I've learned um, and I've had to instill, even now as the Sydney team goes back into the office, just because someone's on a call now from home, let's not make sure, let's make sure that we include them, right? So how do we how do we change the pace of that meeting so that they're included? How do we make sure that we hear their ideas because they may have a great idea that we're not hearing or not bringing to the table? So there's some principles that were just part of being a good leader in making sure everyone was heard and bringing them all to the front. But it, it, it really did sharpen that for me, and I'm very attuned to it now. And so that's one area that, uh, that I don't think will go away now as I've become used to that of how do we get the most out of people regardless of the situation or circumstance they're in, knowing that what I've learned, that people can actually be really productive and interesting and all the ideas that they come up with are just as valuable as the ones that we came up with 
uh, in one place together while we're all, uh, you know, riffing off each other, so to speak. I love that. I love that. I, I, I remember there was one person that I was speaking to and they were kind of like an expert for remote teams. And this was, this was kind of pre-COVID. And uh, she said, if you have remote team, you have to treat the whole team as if everybody's remote in order to incorporate that person team. And at the time I was like, okay, cool. Like, next question. Let me ask you something else, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was not paying attention. But after, after we went into lockdown, I realized the, the massive difference there is and how much our remote team all of a sudden start, started to, uh, to, to add value and you know, get into the discussions where before it was like a laptop in a corner of a, of a desk, right? And then at the end of the meeting, everyone's like, oh, uh, John, by the way, do you have anything to ask? Forgot you were there, right? <laughs> um, so I, I, you, you're right, it became so clear. And, um, and I think more and more people should incorporate that and think of it that way. And, and now I'm like, that was such a smart comment that she made back then. And I just completely went over my head. Yeah. And what's funny and, you know, selfishly, you think of these new principles for your own team. But what I've come to realize is the world has changed. Right. So if you're not considering that perspective, you're probably not doing a good thing by your customer either, because your customer probably has that same situation and lineup as well. Right. So, for example, when we were rethinking our events, we knew that a big part of them would be hybrid. So how do you rethink that? There might be people that can but don't want to come to your event no matter how fancy and shiny it is right so it's actually really good to have people on the team that are like that and that have that perspective so that they can share it as well and so i think it just becomes healthier to have that diversity of opinion got it yeah building that empathy for it for the customer as well correct yeah that's that's a solid point you talked about fun right thinking of fun differently and this has been on on my mind as well of how do you have fun with a remote team? Like people are not in the in the office. We don't have the banter. We, you know, it's hard to go out for for a drink. So what what have you found that that helps for basically having fun, literally, uh, for a team and and for the team to be like, this is you know awesome. I love catching up with friends. How do you how are you balancing that out now? Yeah, look, I won't say we've cracked the code. I, I've okay. tried so many things, <laughs> and that's still a journey, but. We've tried everything uh, and look, it, it went in phases, right? Like from when COVID first started to where we are now, uh, like when first COVID started, it was like, oh my God, no one can see anyone. Let's all get on a hangout, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was like, let's all get on so we can see each other. And then quickly we realized we're all on hangouts like eight hours a day. No one wanted another hangout so that we could just, you know, hang. So we we started to move to more, all right, what was the purpose, right? How do you actually orchestrate fun, just like you would in the physical world? So we've done everything from making cocktails to doing volunteering together. A cool one that we did was recently, I, you know, I lead uh, the Latino Force uh, Employee Resource Group at, at my company. So we did a virtual Spanish learning course, right? So we brought some people that speak Spanish, teach some other people. We did it with Kahoot. So it's like a quiz thing. It's kind of fun. Uh, so that's something we maybe actually would never have done in the real world, but uh, we might have done it in a classroom, but it probably would have been more boring than the online version. We've done escape rooms. We've done lots of stuff. And it's kind of funny the way that people can reinvent it for the digital world. So like the best example was a magic show. We had 
a magician, I think it's from New York. I never would have had this guy be able to do something with the team. And he had like a multi-camera setup where he was doing like close hand tricks with his cards. He was doing other stuff where he was doing reveals. And he had totally mastered this thing. And my team was blown away. Like they had so much fun. And it was crazy because we would never have been able to do this unless we flew to the guy. Maybe we would have had a local magician, which maybe not have been as, as high quality. Like this guy was a magician that normally had big shows, but because of COVID had to reinvent his business, right? So we've done lots of things. And I think you need to find what your team gravitates towards, right? Some people like certain activities, like the cocktail one went down really well with the Sydney office, but, you know, shipping some of those materials, which is what we had to do to some of the other remote offices and some cultures are not big on drinking. That didn't mm. work, right, for them. Magic, pretty pretty much cut through uh, across everyone. We've had comedians that also can be a bit polarizing, right, depending on culture. So I think it's pushing the boundaries, seeing what works. We are big also on wellness. So we've we've done mental wellness stuff. We've done yoga. So I think the, the main point is variety for the team, depending on how big it is, right, so that people can choose. I've never made any of them mandatory. So even if like I've tuned in and I've something and not everyone turns up, I just- They I'm, have I'm to okay come in. That. Yeah. Yeah. Got I'm, it. I'm okay Got with it. that Got because that just means people are prioritizing what they need to do. And maybe it was more important for them to go and walk their dog. And that's how they were going to get joy and fun than joining my cocktail making extravaganza or whatever it is. But I think people recognize the intent, right? So that's mm-hmm. to your point before, like, that's uh, at the end of the day, people recognize you're trying and maybe they don't want to participate, but you're giving them a variety of options. That actually lifts morale as well yeah. on its own. And then lastly, I would say where possible, you have cells of people that can get to, even if not everyone can get together maybe, but cells of people can get together. So I encourage, ring up someone and have a coffee with them. We, um, we send everyone like an Uber voucher, Uber Eats voucher to like, organize a coffee session and do something, organize a cake, whether it's virtual or in person, whatever, so that it's distributed as well. So it wasn't all reliant on like a centralized planning committee see. as well. I see. Got it. Yeah. Those are, those are solid, those are solid advice. And uh, okay. I appreciate that. This podcast is brought to you by Xgrowth, an account-based marketing agency with a strong specialization in the APAC market. If you're starting to roll out an account-based marketing initiative in your firm or looking to take your current program to the next level, whether it's one-to-one, one-to-few, or one-to-many, don't try to do it all alone. Chat with the ABM experts at Xgrowth to see how they can help you both on strategy and execution of your next ABM campaign. To find out more, head to www.xgrowth.com.au. That's www.xgrowth.com.au. Let's get back to the podcast. How do you view the main responsibilities of a CMO, right? I think we talked about, uh, we very briefly just right now touched on keeping morale up. We, we talked about having fun. What are some of the some of the main responsibilities that you see that you have as a as a CMO in the organization? Yeah, look, I think definitely team and and people is number one. We have a a matrixed uh, KPI method we call V two Mum. It's vision, values, measures, obstacles, and and uh, methods. And uh, you can go and Google it. Our CEO came up with us lots of stuff. But we we basically have a list of priorities. And number one is team. And, you know, team can mean lots of things, right? So we talked about the fun side, 
culture, but it's also career opportunities for them, right? So we do employee surveys to make sure that we're giving them everything they they would expect from a role so that we can help grow their careers and keep them and retain them. But uh, there's a lot of feedback in that. And I take that very seriously because without my team being healthy, being you know always comfortable and wanting to stay in their role and grow, it'd be very hard for me to keep achieving the other goals that I have. So that's that's definitely number one. Number two would be KPIs and understanding which KPIs are the right ones for our stakeholders. I take that pretty seriously because in a matrixed org like Salesforce, we can have lots of goals, lots of people moving in different directions, but I take the responsibility of really tuning in and, and it's an ongoing, it's not like it gets set in January and then it stays till December. Like it's a continual motion of what are these right KPIs for the stakeholders that we have? And, you know, they, they change because, you know, one quarter something went really well and then the next quarter that something else becomes more important. So that other one that started off the year as being really important is less important. So that to me is important, not just for me, but if I capture that, then I can get, you know, ensure that the rest of the team is very crystal clear on their mission and the North Star. And that kind of segues into, into step three, which is sharing a vision. I think especially in my role being in a region, I need to have a vision that explains why we're doing what we're doing and connect it back to those metrics. A metric is really a 2D dimension, doesn't have any dimension to it. It can be seen as something that is like, okay, I need to do that because I'm told to do that. But if I can add color and story and narrative, I, I like to use this expression going from 2D to 3D so people can really see it and picture in their mind's eye and, and then it's clear, like when you know what you're trying to, where you're going, it's much easier to, to navigate there. Otherwise, any path will take you somewhere. And so I'm, I'm very, very much uh, someone that needs to repeat that vision probably at every, all hands that I do, monthly, quarterly, sometimes even weekly of meetings with my directs, make sure everyone's clear on that objective. And then last, and, you know, there's many things that I would say I do, but being the catalyst for change, because You've got your metrics, you've got your vision, but I, I like to come in and kind of instigate in lots of different areas to make sure that people are inspired to push the boundaries. And, you know, we like to, you know, we pride ourselves at Salesforce on being a leading innovator. We've been ranked like one of the most innovative companies in the world, one of the top employees, but that doesn't come without continual growth and change. Like we keep doing what we we're doing 10 years ago. We wouldn't be where we are today. So I inject myself and I try to like inject and pretty deep, but then come back out so that I have enough of an impact so that people understand, all right, so that was the vision, but now I get a bit more flavor of what that meant. And, you know, you ask a few questions that just gets people that may be thinking a lot about something like this to go like, all right, like what's happening over here and, and how do I connect that to this? And um, I found that that really invigorates people. I then leave so that they feel empowered. And then they they, they usually keep me up to date on that's going. And, and then I move to another area. But I, I like enjoy that part. But I also think it helps push the team along into the right direction. There's many, many things, but I think they're probably the, the top ones, I would say. Shane. The top four. Okay, let's, um, let's first of all, talk about, I want to touch on KPIs, right? One question that I have for you is, you know, how do you approach KPIs from a perspective of KPIs, I don't know if it's quarterly set at, at Salesforce or if it's a diff, there is a different structure, but at the beginning of a certain period of time, for a certain period of time, there are certain objectives that somebody needs to hit, right? What is your approach 
to changes during that, let's say, whatever that period is, that quarter, that then you like, oh, it's okay. You're not hitting the KPIs. It's okay. I understand the situation. But then, hey, that's going to impact other stuff. How rigid are you when you set KPIs? How do you, you know, how do you manage that? And how do you make sure those KPIs are hit? Or where is the, where does the flexibility for you come in? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, in marketing, sometimes the KPIs can be seen as a bit softer than maybe sales KPIs, right? Because if you don't meet the sales number, it's quite obvious, right? Money doesn't come in. Sometimes in marketing, if you miss a little, it's like, well, can be okay. My, my approach is, so firstly, before you even how, how I approach the when you don't meet something, when things change, I like to ensure that my KPIs are pretty well tied to the business ones. Um, a lot of folks in this world come up with their own and then lead the team to run those. And that can make you feel pretty good, but it also can be sometimes seen as marking your own homework, so to speak, right? So I... I, I try very hard to ensure that we're looking at business KPIs and then the connection to those in marketing. And lately, I've actually been leaning to even use more of the business KPIs when we're talking and then marking ourselves on the marketing ones to see if we're helping push those rather than just looking at the marketing ones and saying, hey, we're doing awesome. And let oh, yeah, let's forget about what the business ones were. So that's a skill because it does mean you've got to widen your lens. Like if you're looking at a camera, you've got to, you've got to step out a little bit. And I think that's okay with, with leadership team, with my leadership team, because then they understand the context of why, which is important. But back to your question of when things aren't going well, look, you know, with many KPIs, if one thing is not going well, you usually have some other levers to try to account for that. And so I try to be very transparent and I'm, I don't dance around. I'm like, hey, we're down here and, and I have a weekly cadence with my team where we review everything. We inspect everything top to bottom and it's very obvious when things aren't right. And we zoom in on something and I make everyone just like I would, I make everyone accountable for the ones that they're signed up for. And uh, we were talking about this before we, you know, in, in our prior chats, but every end of week on Friday, I share those metrics with all my stakeholders as well because I want to be very transparent in where we're at. And I ask my leads to put a little commentary up to what's happening and look, if we're missing, be open about it. Hey, we're missing and here's what we're going to do to improve it. Now, the, what we're going to do to improve it is not always going to be able to fix it, but it, it does a couple of things. One, it shows your stakeholders that, hey, you can trust me when things are not going well as well as when they're going well. Because a lot of times people only like to tell you good news. So that's that's number one. And number two, we, we are aware of the issue and we have a plan of attack. This is what we're going to try to do. No guarantees. It's going to work because no one can guarantee anything, but we're, we're good trying. And it also opens up the conversation if they feel like there's a better idea or they'd like us to do it differently, you've, you've made that avenue open to them as well. So it achieves a couple of principles there. And I would say now when, say, something hasn't, and it's pretty obvious you're going to miss it, this is where you have to go in a little bit of repair mode. Is like, is there anything else you can do to help prioritize or deprioritize some of the other levers you have? So, from, for example, if I'm thinking of APAC, which is my market, I might be able to make my numbers for Asia Pack if one of the subregions isn't working out. And that means i got I got to try to... Lean on a couple of folks to see, can you get, can I get more <laughs> over here? Or even within a region, maybe events aren't working, but your digital's working or your syndication's working. Like, can we, can we get more out of that? 
And it's not always possible, but having that conversation is healthy because it means they also understand that when something won't work, there will be trade-offs. And I think that's more important than just coming in and saying, you know, you haven't met that and, or being a bully or doing any of those other things that you see in all the Hollywood movies. I think that then makes people feel like, all right, I need to be um, an adult about this. I need to understand that we need to do this. And then they try to get ahead of it as well. And then connecting it actually back to the fun, I think it's important if things are missed, then when we're like ending that period that, you know, maybe what we were going to do is a little bit tempered, right? Um, Because it's just the right thing to do to show that when things haven't gone well, that's now time to reflect and we're not going to have the big celebration or whatever. But when things go well, let's go and have that party, right? I think it's really important to to, to do that and differentiate because there's many cultures where you kind of celebrate all the time. And I think in marketing um, that happens and it's important that you don't do that as well. Let's let's get two two boxes for for the cocktails rather than one. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. That's that's uh, that's cool. Okay. How do you approach upskilling for your staff? Is it, hey, you have some budget and you could uh, go and take some courses, or what is your philosophy for upskilling? We touched on this a little bit. Uh, and how do you how do you uh, uh, approach that for uh, for your team? How do you put that in place for your team? Yeah, look, I think we're we're very lucky at, at Salesforce. There's ongoing professional development that is run by, uh, we call it employee success, but it's our HR department. So there's a lot of access to general skills, whether that be, you know, how to hire, how to manage, you know, basic skills that you need to do, um, not, not your role, but just be a great employee at the company. Beyond that, we also give people the opportunity to go and do their own tertiary education or or certified courses and get reimbursed for it when they pass, right? So there's there's an annual budget for them to go and do that. So that's their their choice. But, um, you know, a lot of people, it's, you know, it's a busy place. Tech companies are moving fast. A lot of people don't always take up for those opportunities. So what what I personally like to do is, and I am a big advocate of continual learning. I'm always, you know, you can see a few... Books behind me. I'm always trying to uh, educate myself and in more in a just in time fashion. I don't like learning for the sake of learning because I think you do need to put things into practice to get the lessons out of it. But I would try myself first to come up to topics, whether that be first soft approach with books, audio books, um, and things like that. But I think the next level is really doing some sort of course. And what I like to do is I would do that course myself because I feel if I'm going to be recommending it to my team, I need to have experienced it to see what is it all about? What can I get out of it? So, you know, I've done probably more presentation courses than most people could uh, enjoy doing because I want to see which ones are the better ones so that then I can then go and work out how to deliver that for my team. So I'll go do it. If I'm then bought into it, I bought the T-shirt, I've drunk the Kool-Aid, then I can come back to my team and say, Folks, like I've done this course and you might have noticed me doing ABCD. I'm really excited about it. To your point, you need to connect budget to it and make it available. But I would like to offer this to you. Are you interested in this? I, I always give the people the question to ask because I don't want to give them something they don't want. Usually something I've done is going to relate, but the only maybe question would be as to when to do it, given people's busy schedules. And then the next part is, is trying to give them the access, but then kind of like what we talked about before with the well-being and joy. I'm like, I'm not going to hold you accountable to this. Like, I'm going to give you this opportunity, but I'm not going to check in whether you did your homework, whether you're tracking well. That's on you. It's my responsibility to give you this opportunity. 
and I hope you take it and I hope to see the results from it. But after that, I'm going to leave it on you because I think if that person doesn't then take some accountability for their own progression and education, it's probably not going to work anyway. So that's kind of where I pause. And that's more, I would say, for my leadership team because I, I try to curate a little more of the path for them. For the wider organization, I think it's a little bit about giving people an understanding of what's out there, making things easier for them to be able to jump on board, and then having other people do what I would do with my directs, which is, hey, you did that, uh, Jimmy or Joanne. Do you mind being a little bit of an advocate in our next meeting and telling people whether that was good, what was useful for you, so that we can drum up some excitement um, as to what you benefited from that course. So that's that's my my very simple homegrown philosophy of you know how how I t- approach you know training and education. I love it. I love it, and it's you know it's just so crucial for 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 team growth. I yeah, that's that's great. That's great. Okay. And one thing though, you've just you just remind me that's all formal. So much of what happens in the workplace is informal, right? So if it's not if it's not a proper training course, I do love mixing it up a little bit and keeping people stretch projects, moving them around a little bit. Like there's a very different way to get people to learn skills, probably the way that I learned many of my informal skills through just osmosis. But that's not always as easy to scale, right? Like that's opportunistic with certain individuals that show promise and you want you want them to grow and you're moving them around. But that's a totally different question about more, more career opportunity and growth, I would say. Interesting. Interesting. I, you know, I, I really love your answer and, and I, I, I try to ask that question and get more insight into what people do because, I mean, for us is also really important, uh, especially from, from the agency side. I mean, people hire us because you know they're like you know this so but so so then we have to like incorporate it into into the the team's kind of okrs and the objectives that they have for the quarter so i think there are some really interesting valuable points that you've you've raised it's really interesting that you take all the courses yourself i mean geez that is uh that's hard (laughs) man that's hardcore and that is hard because i mean especially you have like five direct reports and if there are things that are maybe relevant for someone, but it's not relevant for the other one. Yeah. The one that's, example, that's... the one example where I didn't, and I, and I tried is uh, I have a, a direct who looks after our digital, very interested in Chinese and uh, for the, the, the our China market. And I tried on Duolingo, I tried <laughs> all these things and I failed miserably, but uh I did really try to lean into that one. And I'm like, you're all on your own. Um, You just find the one that you want. We'll cover the cost. Don't worry about it. No questions. You did an amazing job and passed it. But I, I, uh, yeah, I gave up on that one. I love it. I love it. Okay. The, um, you've touched on this a little bit, especially when, when, when we talk about KPIs that uh, you try to tell a story, but also you try to communicate regularly, especially with the, uh, your approach to people, external to the marketing team, still internal to the company. How, how do you approach that? How do you approach, you know, your communication and, and uh, your, uh, you, you know, what is happening in marketing, whether it's KPIs, you talked about, you know, you, you try to make it 3D. How do you approach, maybe it's, it's sales, maybe it's the C-level, uh, other people on the, on the C-level, maybe it's at the board level. How do you approach the communication with, uh, with them? Yeah, look, I think it's multi-pronged. So obviously there's the in-person one-to-one combat, right? And uh, 
that takes up a big part of my calendar, which is meeting those stakeholders, listening to them. It's really hard in those meetings, though, to, to share everything that's going on, right? So that's where um, it's more about they're, they're making them feel heard about what they feel is important and then connecting the dots on a couple of initiatives that might be going on. Or they might have an idea that you then take and then they see come back in some other manifestation, right, because you, you listen to them. But again, there's only so many hours in the day and they're all busy. So that's not going to really hit on everything that's going on. So I'm really big on a weekly cadence um, of sharing. And I and I try to share at that high level. Like this would not be applicable to the uh, account executive on the street, like the reporting that I'm doing. But I try to do executive level communications to all those stakeholders in one go once a week that I have my team help me craft and look, it's an ongoing thing. You know, sometimes it probably too, it's got too much information in some areas, maybe not enough in um, some, but to my principle of before where it's going out there, it, it A, I think the weekly cadence means they know to expect it. So they trust that I'm going to tell them what's going on. So that's number one. Two, if they are curious, they can always open it up and check out what's happening in there. And if they have any questions, that gives them permission to, to probe because if they don't know what they don't know, then they're not going to ask. And, and it's usually a good segue then when I do meet in person. I'm like, by the way, I'm not sure if you saw, but we updated on that. And usually they say, yeah, they saw that. And that's a good conversation started then given more detail on, on that. And then beyond that, that's probably that weekly cadence. We try to have a quarterly look back. So the biggest moments, but that goes to everyone in the region, actually. So uh, actually one probably went out while we were talking. It was scheduled for today at 2 p.m. AST. That's the quarterly look back. That's like the biggest moments. Like we sponsored uh, the Mardi Gras here in Sydney. Uh, big moment, big, big moment. We sponsored a UN Women's, uh, International Women's Day act activity that we did. Like the big moments for brand and for our campaigns that everyone should be aware of. And that just makes people feel good that we're, we're doing some pretty meaty work. And that lets people know, A, what it was and B, how to maybe leverage it if they missed it, right? Beyond, beyond that, though, there is many opportunities where we're at the beginning of the year, and, and I delegate this responsibility to the leaders of the individual regions. So, for example, ANZ or ASEAN, but they have an opportunity to present in the kickoffs, um, the beginning of the year, whether it's the sales kickoff or, the, or those regional kickoffs where they will present like yearly plans. I think it's important to, to share that vision there. Uh, but that's really like more what we would like to do than what it is that we're doing. And I love being the kind of person that's sharing what, what we've already achieved rather than just here is what we're going to do and I'll touch back with you in two years when we, <laughs> when we deliver on it, right? I like being the guy that's continually, and, and, I, and I know I've mentioned a few times, but I am pretty particular about it. It's systematic, continual updates. Like I... Very rarely, like maybe over Christmas or the holidays, because most of the company might shut down. But rain, hail, or shine, there's an there's an email coming on Friday from my team or a Slack post. We're now we're now using that after that uh, acquisition or disclosures hasn't closed yet. But uh, there is comms coming at you on Friday, whether you want it or not, and it's going to tell you what we're doing, and it's and it's expected, and then it builds on that cadence of trust that I like to have with our stakeholders. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now I have some rapid questions that I want to ask you towards the end, but before we get there, 
Is there anything that maybe I haven't touched on you think it's important for us to cover, especially around, you know, marketing leadership that, uh, that you, you think we should, that we should cover? Yeah, it's something we didn't get to, which I think about a lot every day. And when I look at the ecosystem of CMOs here, most of them are either brand marketers or like performance marketers. And today we've talked a lot about more, I would say, on the performance marketing side. And I think about it a lot because in my old role in San Francisco, um, I was leading corporate messaging for the company and it was all brand, right? It's like the narrative, the message, uh, how's that going to come across in, in our Dreamforce keynote? What are the customers that are going to represent that? Um, who are the partners that are going to be there? What's the story? And now my, my role is all of that, but also very much on, are we meaning this KPI and, and, and what can we do to launch this in that market and so forth? So it's, it's my two sides of my brain, right, are definitely working there. And um, we, we haven't touched so much that I think for many folks in the region, they definitely lean more one way to Whereas I've noticed in other parts of the world, especially in Americas, where there is a better blend, I would say, of that. And so, um, and I don't, not that I have any advice or anything like that, but I just know it's a tension point for many people. And um, I don't have necessarily any answers, but I know that both are important. And I, I know that in the region, sometimes, like especially in B2B companies, if they're a regional company that is linked to a global company, they might be a bit more disconnected from the brand side and an evolution on that. I, I think it's important though, that you have some element of that and control because as your market grows and as you become more self-sufficient, if you don't have that muscle, you won't be able to do that. And then on the performance side, I think, again, there is areas there that are changing given, especially a lot of the digital stuff we've been talking about, it's, it's evolving from how it used to be of like, how many leads did you get on a webinar to like all these other tactics that have now become open to you um, from, you know, whether it's YouTube, programmatic, display, Quora, like all these things that now are coming at you that you can do. Uh, we don't do many TikTok things, but I know some people might be uh, out there doing that. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. And I think it's important that you have that muscle too, but are also pushing the boundaries on it. So they're things that I, every you know, every day I'm thinking about how can I be a catalyst to my team and really be that agitator to ensure that uh, we're not leaving anything on the table in those dimensions. Got it. Yeah. That balance is so important. Uh, and I, and I feel like maybe, maybe we're a little bit more on uh, local companies, maybe more on brand. Um, and then, uh, and then yeah, it, it's, I know it's a sore, sore kind of a sore point and it's, it's a, it's a tricky conversation to have here. Uh, and I've, and I've been in a few of them, but, uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do, I got three rapid questions for you before let's we wrap up. So the first one is what is one resource? It could be a book. It could be a blog podcast talk that fundamentally changed the way you work or live. Yeah. Look, I think I, when I first started out as a manager, I started listening to a podcast called manager tools. This is now aging me a little bit because this was decades ago, but uh, it taught me a lot. Like when I was, and you know, my background was an engineer. So I then I, I hadn't managed people. Then I moved into marketing and then I started managing people. Things you just don't learn in definitely not in computer science uh, degrees and in, not in most uh, even development courses at, at, at most workplaces. But how do you even have a one-on-one? -on -one? Like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you tell, how do you give people feedback? So that if you haven't uh, or you're new in your career in marketing, I would definitely recommend that. Thank you very much. So it's, it's uh, what was the name again? It's Management Manager Tool. Tools. Yeah, Manager it's a podcast. Tool. They've written a book as well. If you want a more marketing one, I can give you another one popped into my head, a more marketing resource. 
changed my life is um, Nancy Duarte's Slideology. So like I mentioned before, I used to pull together the messaging for the company and translate that into our biggest keynotes that we ran around the world, like Dreamforce and our world tour. And Duarte is an agency that I started working with in the US and the CEO is Nancy Duarte and she's written several books, one of which is Slideology, which helps you describe or tell a story through pictures um, and less words. And it's uh, it's a pretty amazing resource. Love that. We'll put that in the show notes for sure for people to access. Okay. Question number two, if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? That your customer, even if they're a company, they're made up of human beings because I see so many things that we come up with where we've forgotten that we're talking to a person. I'm like, they're at some at the other side of this company probably is a mom, a dad, a daughter, a son. They have all the same you know, ambitions, aspirations, and challenges in life that you do. But the way you just pitch that thing makes it almost feel like we're talking to a robot or something else. And uh, if you can, you know, come a little bit more to the B2C side there and bring in some of that human element, uh, you'll probably do better with your work. <laughs> What do you mean? I'm not talking to a financial services organization with 5,000 people as employees. I love it. <laughs> no, you're right. probably selling to one person. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Third question. What are, what are some of the influencers you follow in the sales and marketing space? You know, this one might seem a bit of a cop-out, but uh, we're, we're a pretty big company at Salesforce and we have some pretty amazing people. So I had the pleasure of working with our CEO, Mark Benioff, very closely in my last role. And he is a brilliant CEO, but also marketer and, and salesman. Uh, he's definitely someone that I look up to and I, I learned a lot from and I continue to learn a lot from. But we also have some other incredible people that have come in almost as like advisors or evangelists in our organization, like a Valor Afshar or a Brian Solis, um, Tiffany Boba. Like these are all pretty incredible marketing um, minds. And I'm just blessed that we we have them on the, the payroll where I get access to them a bit more, but um, they're incredible and they're very available to everyone else. They tweet a lot. They do they create a lot of articles for us and they're out there and they were out there before they came to Salesforce as well. So they've got good followings. That's so cool. And I don't think, I don't think Mark Benioff is, is a cop out. I mean, he is, he is a legend and I've, I've learned a lot from him and I, and I love listening to his talks and, and, uh, and I have his latest book trail trailblazers on my reading list to go through. But, um, look, I, Leandro, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and having a chat. I very much enjoyed our, our conversation and thank you so much. Thanks for Pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.